Welcome to the Staying Ageless Podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Asosa E, also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today we are going to do a season two recap. I can't believe we made it this far, y'all. <laughs> We're on season two. Thank you so much for tuning into the show, for subscribing, for telling all your friends. Thank you so much to the listeners from all over the world who are listening. Shout out to listeners in Uganda, Mozambique, South Africa, the UK, France, Germany, Canada, Ireland, the Netherlands, and Poland. We appreciate you so much and are going to be back on November 21st of 2020 with more amazing content for season three. So stay tuned for now. We're going to put together in this episode, some clips of the amazing conversations I had over this past season. It was really awesome. And I learned a lot. I hope you did too. What I want you to do is listen to this recap. And just in case you missed any of these amazing conversations, please go back and catch up on when you missed. To listen to past episodes, visit stayingagelessshow.com. While we're on break, also feel free to send in your questions. You can message me via my website, therawgirl.com, or DM me via my profile on Instagram, at therawgirl. All right, y'all. Until November, stay healthy, happy, and productive. Remember that hormone relaxant I was telling you about? Yeah. And I said, all your ligaments are weak. Okay. So your ab muscles, a lot of people have separation of their ab muscles during pregnancy. It's normal. But you're now trying to put everything back together. Think about your uterus, which occupied a little space, has now grown to hold, you know, an eight pound baby or whatever, pushed all your organs inside your belly around. And now everything is going back, has to quote unquote, go back to its right position. If you have a belly support or bind, it helps put that pressure to allow things to go back in the right place. But Hmm. it's also a mental reminder that, oh my gosh, I just had surgery. I can't just jump and run and dip and bob and dive for every and anything. Right. The other thing is that binding, it just supported my back better. So when you're breastfeeding, you tend to slump over, Mm -hmm. but it helped to support my back. And I've already had back issues because when you're carrying a baby, it just kind of causes a little bit of instability in your, you know, alignment or your center of gravity or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. So they have the Bangkung wrap, which is the old traditional Malaysian. I think it's from Malaysia technique where you have this extremely long piece of cloth that you wrap it around in a specific manner. Um, They have ones online that you can get with the Velcro. That's the one that I use. And you Mm -hmm. can just, you know, keep adjusting it. But in the hospital, they have these these belts. And so literally after I delivered, I was like, I need you to go get my belt. Oh, you forgot. Next nurse, I need you to go get my belt. I was very adamant about it. Very adamant. I love it. Hmm. I love it. It's really just about nurturing. Again, it's about full nurture and it's like about get, if you get your digestion right, which you know this and all nutrition, like if you get your digestion right, you can really get anything right. And if you follow that suit, 
you're golden and then you you see it and then you'll you'll get the ding ding moments and listen to your body because like when you start you know like, i need to wear my compression socks i need to put you know a bigger sweater on now or you know like you your body does it on purpose yeah no that's good and i think this helps because now i'm starting to understand just from this conversation that Ayurveda is not static, meaning if I have a list of foods that will increase my pitta or decrease my pitta, that doesn't mean that I just avoid all the things that increase my pitta. It means that I have to be malleable and move with the external. And I think that's what makes it so dynamic, honestly, because I think the Western way of thinking is this is my diet. I eat this, this, and this. I eliminate this, this, and this forever. And this is how I move. Instead of being like, I think that Ayurveda is just so much more rooted in this is what's happening in the world. (laughs) This is the season. This is the time of day. Yes, exactly. And like in those things don't change. Yes. It's three. We have in the American world, you know, in our California, you know, in the Western world is four seasons. Like we're in autumn right now. So like even, so this is a really good practice for vatas to like slowly get into. So I don't have to be very drastic with them, but like by the end of October, I want you on that. You know, like I want you clear and I want you to be eating like this by then. And this is why it's so nice here. We could go slowly. Bitters are really important for a healthy digestion. So as we get older, our digestion does um, start to get a little sluggish. So we have, you know, as people get older, there's a reason why ads for Metamucil and fiber um, are targeting seniors. Uh, we ha- I have these, I had a funny conversation with a patient this week who um, was starting to know, notice, you know, sluggish bowel, and we kind of had that conversation. Um, but this can be a direct impact of the effect of um, losing bitter receptors. Mm. Um, the good news is you can, you know, improve that by eating more bitter. So when you eat more bitters, you end up with more bitter taste receptors and Mm. bitter um, receptors throughout your digestive tract. So that helps enhance motility, but also the whole, you know, component of um, malnutrition where we're not absorbing enough as well. So when you're over 50, um, we know that certain vitamin and mineral deficiencies are more likely. And Mm -hmm. a lot of that has to do with absorption. And so when you're eating bitter foods or consuming uh, bitter digestive herbal blends, that can help um, you break down your food better. So it can enhance um, if you, if you need uh, a lot of extra acid, extra enzymes, um, as we age, all of those can, those functions can decline. Bitters can um, help boost that function. So then we can better absorb the nutrition from our. Esselstein and others. And I called Dr. Esselstein who treated Bill Clinton for his heart disease. I flew down to, to see him. I uh, had a, a consultation with him and he gave me just the foundation uh, that really just said, listen, it's about the food. And and when I returned to the city, I just started reading my labels and I was like, wow, this is exactly what he was talking about. Uh, mm. And 
it's just it's just an, an awakening, you know. And I always think about quantum physics that states you start things because you become aware of things when you acknowledge the existence of them. And once I started started acknowledging the existence of what was on my label, what was in my food, uh, I cleaned out my cupboards, my pantry, my fridge, and so I'm, I'm just going to dive deep in. And let me tell you, sister, that first week. Mm-hmm. Man, please. That was hell week. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like a heroin addict, you know? <laughs> and it was the Sunday. Yeah. Where the Sunday at the end of the week, where I sat down and I said, Brother, why are you doing this woe is me thing? Why are you feeling sorry for yourself? You know, uh, why not lean into this? And why not say, why not me? Stop looking at the foods you can't eat and start looking at this amazing universe of foods you you could now introduce yourself to. Mm. I just took, I, I did a mental shift. And That's so important. Yes. And I just started anew. So it's important for us to consider, as you suggested, different levels of communication. And so it requires some time. It's not like we can meet a person, whether in person or online, and then kind of get together, get married, and then, you know, kind of do the whole, quote unquote, happily ever after. There's a whole lot of effort and work and conversations that go into that. A lot of tweaking, a lot of discerning what our partner's love language is, what their communication style is, working through old hurts and pains and dealing with some of that stuff in therapy, but then also sharing what's appropriate with our partner about the history we have so that we can understand each other, so that we can understand when my face looks like this, that's what I'm thinking or feeling, or when I say this kind of thing, this is what I really mean. But then I'm also learning how to go the next step, which is what I help clients do in therapy. You might say a certain thing and expect your partner to get it. I help you understand that your partner is not going to know what you expect if you have not clearly Mm. stated the expectation. And so kind Mm. of walking through what those different, as you suggested, parts of communication are. You know, I call clients out in quotes. Even now in this virtual space, I'll see a facial expression or I'll see a shift in body posture and I'll say, hey, tell me what just happened. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, you did this thing with your mouth or you did this thing with your eyebrow. And I'm like, you saw that? And I'm like, yeah, let's talk about it, right? So this opportunity, again, as you suggested, that our communication far exceeds what we say with our mouths. It, mm-hmm. it impacts the physicality of us. We make certain expressions. We change our body posture. We might get up and walk away. And that's a whole level of communication. No, I didn't say anything, but my body responded. Sometimes our foot is twitching or maybe our hands get sweaty. There's something that's happening. And so back when I was in school, there was this whole notion Um, that you cannot not communicate Mm. like it's impossible. (laughs) So this idea that we kind of really take into account the fullness of who our partner is and who we are even to explore how we can be more effective in our communication. Here's what I say about fiber. There is soluble fiber in juice, but there is no insoluble fiber. We are removing that. So there's no fiber in your multivitamin tablet either, but you take that for nutrients. And mm-hmm. so we drink the juice for nutrients. And mm-hmm. um, when I did my interviews with Dr. Mercola, he mentioned that. And he said, actually, the fiber missing is a good thing. These nutrients then can get right into your system. And many people have digestive issues, challenges, where they don't break down food very well. Their vegetables are not broken down well. Their vitamins aren't broken down well. Things are going through their system. You know, we read about that, like expensive (laughs) uh, Mm weight. But juice is broken down so well. 
that it's not going to go right through your system. It's like a pre-digested food. And even if you have digestive challenges, gut issues, your body can absorb it so easily. So whether you do or you don't, it's an easily absorbed uh, vitamin, mineral, phytonutrient, biophoton, antioxidant-rich supplement of uh, in the form of delicious juice that you can drink and it's going right into your system and your body is just happy. It's receiving all of these good things and it's getting right in there. And people often say to me after they start juicing, oh, I feel so much better, like mm. energy. I notice it. People notice it after they drink a glass of juice. It's, it's, uh, hydrating, it's rejuvenating, it's energizing. So that's why I say juice and eat a high fiber diet. Most midwives that I've spoken to in general, whether they're CPMs, whether they're CNMs, whether they're CMs and um, et cetera, we all want the same thing. So like low interventions, super support, like, you know, want to stay by the woman's side at all, at all times. Um, and we promote birth as the not as a natural physiological process rather than looking at it like there's a problem like we must intervene we must fix it you know this woman hasn't given birth in this many hours and so we must inter intervene mm -hmm. i think in general is more like okay like let's let's support this natural process um how can we help this woman uh get through like each stage of labor and stuff like that as much as possible um, without interventions. So I really like that about, about midwifery. And I think to me, that's what midwifery is, but it's also just like being with women for a lifetime. Right. So like you have midwives who um, deliver babies and then you have midwives who just work in clinics um, providing basically GYN um, and postpartum prenatal um, preconception care as well. But I think that like the motto is that we're with women for a lifetime. So mm. like we're, we're there to support women. We're there to support normal physiological processes that women go through throughout their lives. So that's what midwifery is to me. Okay. That's awesome. What are some of the unnecessary interventions you were just men mentioning that, that you feel like happen a lot during birth that aren't necessarily necessary? I think that... Um, human beings like we've really evolved to like okay like hurry up everything has to move fast and everything has to be like controlled and moved you know it has to move on our time and stuff like that and so I see that I saw this in the U.S. I see it here we love to accelerate labor like it has to go faster you know mm. don't I think we forget that each person's body is different your labor may progress very differently from my labor. And even when I look at my own labors, like with my two babies, my first one was about 12 hours long. My second one was two and a half hours long. I can actually share with you that growing is not comfortable. Some people think that growing is comfortable, but if you watch a child uh, mm -hmm. who's learning how to walk, they're going to fall a bunch of times before they actually know how to walk. And and that is not an easy thing. They may may fall and hit their head or maybe, you know, fall and, you know, you hit, you see them crying, but they get right back up. And so mm -hmm. it's 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 with people, with adults, sometimes we think that everything is supposed to be so easy because we've had people 
you know, blocking for us and giving us uh, what we need to get there. But I can contend, I would suggest to you that there's, there is, there is something about, uh, depending on yourself to get up more times than you get knocked down. That's where mm. the growth is, that when when situations don't look like they're going to work out, you have the sense of mind that you go into your own inside yourself and figure out ways to, to make it work. And so when you talk about being comfortable with being uncomfortable, I mean, that is that is really what it's going to take, particularly right now. We're mm. all uncomfortable with with COVID-19 and all of the things that are going on. Now, some yeah. people are not going to weather the storm, but those who are, are finding a way to make it work, whether you uh, go virtual or whether you go to, um, go to the drawing board and create something new, uh, but that's being uncomfortable. Looking at your finances and saying, well, man, you know, I got to figure out how to, how to make it work. I got to cut back on some things. I got to give up some things. That's being uncomfortable, but you still mm. are going to make it if you decide that that's what you're going to do. So the more SHBG you have in your blood, the more sex hormone binding globulin you have circulating in your blood, the, the less active your natural estrogen is. And that's good. It calms it down. It's not gone but it's held in abeyance until it is actually needed. So SHBG calms down estrogen. It's a good way to reduce the risk of short-term problems like cramps, but all the short-term issues like cramps or fibroids, signs of having too much estrogen, that's a sign that you could be at higher risk of bigger hormone-related problems later on. I'm, I'm talking about breast cancer and other things that are where you're hitting your body month after month, year after year with too much estrogen. Or you, you, you hurt over the short run, but over the long run, it can be much more serious. So true. Um, every day in my office, I'm seeing women with fibroids and they usually had signs very early on of estrogen dominance. Their periods um, were horrible. They were vomiting, all that stuff. So really great point. Let me also make sure that I, I know that when I talk about doing a vegan diet, uh, many women will think, gee, that's, that's a tall order. Keep in mind, you're focusing on the short term. Um, try, take one week. And during that week, just think about the foods that you would eat that have no animal products in them, like a bowl of oatmeal for breakfast or cornflakes with almond milk, or try the veggie sausage if you never had it. So anyway, you, you take a week and just figure out the foods mm -hmm. and then take three weeks and actually eat them. And you would, if you do it all vegan all the time for even three weeks, that's enough time to kind of get used to it. And then at some point, do two full cycles, starting from uh, first day of bleeding, uh, and count out two cycles and just do it and see how you feel. And for I can't tell you how many people, they just wish they'd learned about this when they were 14. At one time, tap water was considered good water and, and cities used to boast about how well their tap water system is. But over the years, which we can all attest to as we live on this planet and the population grows and industry and technology takes over, uh, we have just become um, more and more of a toxic society. I look at the statistics where they say over 42 states in the United States have over 260 different chemicals in the water. And these are not water chemicals that's for protection. These are chemicals that come from industry. They come from runoff. They come from um, 
agricultural runoff that come from so many sources. And then just industry, and when it comes to plastics and when it comes to manufacturers, they dump everything in our rivers and streams. So our mm-hmm. local community water authorities get the water, they clean it up as much as they can, which is basically a carbon filtration, and they add things like chlorine to the water specifically to kill bacteria. And so we're drinking that water that, number one, is chemicals. And I encourage people to look at their, they can go to their website or whatever city they're in and look at the city, the municipal water authority. They, they put out a report every year, each, each, each municipality, and it indicates what chemicals that they are testing for in the water and the levels. Now, so you can actually get an idea of what's in your, where you're going to get an idea of what they test for. That's the drawback that people don't realize. But although there may be 80 chemicals that are not tested in the water, and those are the things I really focus on because people are not aware of what they're drinking, you know, when they drink water. 